Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to another episode of Drive Into the Basket, part of the Basketball Podcast Network. I am Mike, your host, and I'm actually going to do something a little bit different in this episode than I had planned. Uh, as I said last week, my original plan had been to do a, you know, what can each of the young players improve sort of episode. I'm going to pivot a bit from that and just talk about all the improvements that they have made, positive things about these young players. So uh, it would just, I suppose, I felt to be good for me to do an episode that's all about uh, what's going on that's positive. I try to focus on on everything that's going on. I, I don't really see myself as a negative Nancy. I uh, just try to give the analysis as I see it. Uh, for me, as I said in the last episode, this has been a bit of a difficult season in terms of enjoyment. So I, I figured maybe a good time to just focus on the positive. Now, I, I don't say any of this to sound as if there's anything wrong of discussing the negatives of the Pistons. Like I, I feel that all discussion of any team you know, should include really what's going on. The goods, the bads, sometimes there's more of one than the other. Uh, certainly for the Pistons over the last, I don't know, like 15 years at this point, uh, close to it, now 14. And, and certainly throughout my time following the team closely, which has been from uh, partway into the 2014-2015 season onward, Unfortunately, there has been more bad than good. Of course, there's more cause for excitement these days than there, in my opinion, than there has been in a long time, just in terms of the direction of the team. So uh, I digress, whatever. I, I just say, I don't know why I feel obligated to note this. It's just like, I, I think that every discussion should be open to the good and the bad. I, I really dislike the notion that, that that criticism of team is bad, that that argument with a positive narrative that that may not be necessarily factually 100% factually grounded is wrong. I feel like we should just be able to discuss the Pistons, uh, just discuss the Pistons, discuss any sports team. Now, if you'd asked me about this about, I don't know, 15 years ago, uh, I would have disagreed and just said, support your team. Don't say anything bad about it. Uh, I, was, uh, I would imagine the people I was discussing sports with back then, probably pretty insufferable. And I look back and cringe a little bit. <laughs> at how I conducted myself in discussion back then. Anyway, uh, let's get into it. So I, I'm going to discuss these players in no particular order. And I'm just going to focus on the young players here, you know, as well as Boyan has been playing and, you know, as well as, as Alec Burks has been playing for the Pistons. And I always have, you know, a few positive things to say about Corey Joseph just because I really like him. <laughs> not necessarily, I don't think he's a particularly good NBA player, but, uh, uh, you know, somebody's, I'm not going to say somebody's got to stick up with the guy. I, mean, I like, I like Corey Joseph. I don't think he's a long-term piece for this team, but I think he's useful in the present. Uh, but you know, depending on how long this episode goes, maybe I'll, I'll get to the to the veterans at some point toward the end. So obviously, the, the player of most note over the last, well, I would say about three weeks is Killian Hayes. So I'll start with him. You've been listening to this show for a while. You, you know that I've had a lot of criticism for criticism for Killian. I've never used the B word. I, the B word, of course, being bust. Uh, you know, young players are young players. It's always been my opinion that that it makes has made perfect sense for the team to keep Killian and continue giving him opportunities to improve. You know, when they picked up his fourth year option, is you, you pick up uh, for players on rookie contracts uh, who have options, and that's all first round picks have options on the third and fourth seasons. You pick up these options a year in advance rather than just in the off season beforehand, which is how it is with player options outside of that context, outside of, of first round rookie contracts. So at that point, said that you know absolutely this is a developing team makes 100% sense to continue you know to, to give him that year and and hope that he continues to improve you know you have a lot to potentially gain and and you have very little to lose so uh, I've been pretty unhappy 
with how he's played throughout the vast majority of his time with the Pistons, just because, I mean, in addition to being really bad, he's always shied away from contact, refused to drive into the interior, do certain things, particularly that which would help his team, which would help him. Uh, he's still not necessarily doing that, but of course he's improved drastically in, in other areas. So uh, if you look over the last 10 games, you know, I feel like he really came online from that, uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers game onward. You know, he's, he's averaged about 13 points and seven assists on like 46% from the field, 37.5% from three, and just playing very, very differently than he has to, had to that point with the Pistons. Uh, just playing with a great deal more confidence, hitting, of course, a, a great deal more shots. You know, that's important. Goodness knows that there are plenty of players in the NBA who are extremely confident in themselves, and they're just extremely bad shooters. But yeah, so one kind of has to go with the other for it to be, you know, for it to be a positive, but is definitely not positive for Killian. Both of those things. Uh, he hits some tough shots. Uh, he takes a lot of pull-up twos, and he's been doing pretty darn good on those right? over those 10 games, 18 of 36% from two. I've said it many times. If you can make that shot, you know, fantastic. That's a great weapon to have. And he's just been attempting a lot of unassisted offense in general. Uh, his true shooting, 54%, not great. You know, decent, respectable, and a massive improvement for him. I mean, that that's something I think just should be highlighted here. Killian Hayes, throughout his tenure in the NBA up to this point, you know, in his very, very truncated rookie season, uh, in his sophomore season, and then throughout the first, like, you know, close to 20-ish, you know, 15 to 20 games of this season, was very much in the running for worst, you know, at, at pretty much at all times, one of the worst players in the entire league. So this is uh, this has been a huge improvement for him. And uh, I think it should be contextualized in that he improved from, like, absolutely and utterly horrible to, you know, around decent, you know, still has his warts. Um, but he's looking like a, a genuine NBA caliber rotation player at this point, which was almost unthinkable like six weeks ago. So I'm really happy to see it. I'd, I've always thought that there is a good player in there in, in Killian Hayes' body and mind. I mean, he's he's very smart. He's a very gifted passer. And, you know, he's not the most athletic player in the world, but you can you can get away with that uh, if you, you know, if you're smart and you have a solid handle. He does have a solid handle uh, without a doubt. And you know, when I was high on him coming in to the league in terms of going into the 2020 draft, as I have noted, I was, I believe, quite a bit too high on him uh, because, yeah, I, I did ranked him above, for example, Tyrese Halliburton and above Lamelo Ball. You know, it's because I had questions about Lamelo, and I just felt like the Pistons really needed a floor general. That's why I put him above uh, Halliburton, whom I wrongly judged to be more likely just a role player at shooting guard. And then Halliburton, of course, now is, I think, has very much an all-star trajectory. And, uh, you know, certainly, I'd say, be a top 10 point guard for a long time. Uh, unless, you know, barring injuries or any of those sorts of unexpected things that can happen. But, you know, Killian, when he was coming into the league, he, of course, he had those the smarts, basketball IQ. There were questions about his left-hand dominance, his shooting, uh, his perimeter shooting was kind of in question, though. Shooting perimeter shooting can often correlate, not always, but often correlate strongly with free throw shooting. And he was always a very strong free throw shooter, you know, coming into the league. So there are positive indicators there. And he was he was a good pull up shooter coming into uh, also like in his in his final season in Euro Cup, which had kind of disappeared until recent days. But uh, all in all, I I thought that he could be a point guard, starting and basically in the bottom end of the top ten of starting point guards if everything came together. If he could shoot his threes. Uh, if he could be shifting up in the way to the basket, if he had a solid in-between game. Uh, do I think that he's on that trajectory? No. I'd be absolutely thrilled to be proven wrong. I, I think that Killian at this point is 
on his way to being either a solid backup point guard, or it appears to be. I mean, he's still got he's, he's still got some improvements to make, particularly in the area of getting to the rim, being willing and able to do that. Uh, but I'll talk about that next episode, where I'll talk about what I think the, the, youth, the youth each should needs to do in order to the most important areas of improvement for them. But you know, Killian Hayes, even if he's on trajectory to be a good backup point guard or a solid backup point guard for for a respectable or even a good team, that's not what you were hoping for when he's coming out. Uh, you know, number seven in in the first draft of the the rebuild era, such as we can call it, that's still like a universe better than when he was looking like two months ago or even six weeks ago. So it, it's been great to see. Uh, just back to what he's been doing. Uh, he's been he's been doing really well as a handler, but uh, seven assists per game versus only two turnovers. That assist to turnover among that game, that span again. It's only ten games, but this is for Killian again. An enormous improvement in general. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just saying that. Yeah, you can always look at ten game samples and they're a bit cherry picked, but this is just such a huge improvement. So, uh, but you know, among that span, and take it with a grain of salt because who knows if this will if you know this will continue, and, and it is a small sample size. But I think I think this Killian is here to stay. You know, at least to, to to a great degree. Again, just an enormous amount better than he was. So over that span, assist to turnover, uh, fourth among starting guards, assist per game, eleventh overall. Just um, and yeah, he's, he's he's just been been doing pretty well. And it's it's on a bad team, and he gets down to the ball a ton. Whatever. I'm just happy to see the improvement. So uh, hopefully we see it continue. And you know, if if Killian can, I don't think he's the. I still don't think, and who knows, maybe I'll kind of looking like an idiot. I still don't think he's like the point guard of the future. I think that ended the minute Cade came out of the team. I think Cade is pretty much just more gifted in almost every way. But if Killian can be a solid backup point guard for this team going forward, which I think he still has work to do to get there, you know, as this team moves forward into hopefully being a contender, then sweet, that's a massive win, really. And him being an NBA caliber rotation player is a massive win based on on how his career had been to this point. So uh, we'll we'll see how things continue to develop for him. Part of me is like, okay, if he can keep this up, if he can increase his volume from three and still be strong from there, you know, maybe maybe he can, you know, be a complimentary starter uh, on this team. Who knows? You know, that that would really require him either the Pistons to kick K to, to small forward, which I don't think they really want to do because you're giving up a size advantage there. Uh, and you know, if you're if you're having Cade and Ivy and, and Hayes and on the floor at the same time. That's three guys who want the ball. And, and that's not really likely to work, but I'm getting way ahead of myself. All right. So that's Killian. Really happy to see. And I hope he continues to improve, of course. But it's for me, in terms of my watching experience, I still get a little bit frustrated when he's not. I mean, this is a, this is a I don't know why I'm putting the qualification first. I do still get a little bit frustrated when when he just won't take the ball into the interior. He does it sometimes, but most times he does not. But my viewing experience of Killian has morphed from perpetual frustration to actually enjoying watching him play. So on a personal note, just in terms of watching the Pistons play, that's also you know not quite as important to me, but relevant. And I'm happy about that too. Isaiah Stewart. So I've been pretty open that I believe Isaiah Stewart is likely to be a role player going forward. And also that I'm perfectly fine with Isaiah Stewart being a role player going forward. Most players are role players. So... I'm not going to get into what I, it's basically, I'll just summarize. I think it's his, his physical shortcomings that are likely to keep him there. Uh, just pretty below average NBA athletes, uh, undersized and, you know, that, that sort of thing. You can go back. I, I recorded an episode uh, with, with Jack, with Jack Kelly uh, around, I think it was in toward the end of September. We talked a lot about Isaiah Stewart. I, I weighed up my opinions on, on him and his future there. 
So Isaiah is a role player who's who's just you know who's great in terms of his character and and the example he sets and how hard he works. I mean, it's a valuable player. So uh, there are questions about his position. You know, he's got issues that you know his physical issues are problematic at center. His physical issues are problematic at power forward. He's been playing power forward lately. I still don't really know if I'm sold on him as the long term power forward. Uh, but whatever the case, let's get to let's let's get to how he improved. He's, he's improved because uh, he has improved. Now, of course, number one thing is his three point shooting. He started terribly, terribly, terribly in like the first five games, uh, and I don't I don't know why why I emphasize that so much. It's only five games, but first five games he attempted a lot of a lot of threes, and he was just awful. And I've always believed in Isaiah Stewart's shooting. That didn't really scare me all that much. Uh, I believed in it since he came into the league. Uh, but, uh, you know, and ever since, ever since those five games, he's shot about 44% on four per game. Of course, it's a fantastic percentage. Some of it is inflated by garbage time threes in one particular game. I, I don't think he's likely to stay at that level. I would be thrilled if he does, but that, that's 44% is pretty darn high by any standards. I mean, not many players are going to do that on, you know, even four threes per game. But he's always had good mechanics. He's got a good stroke. He's very confident. Uh, he can catch it high and shoot it. He can relocate and shoot. Uh, you know, with with not much time to set himself, and that's great. I mean, this is something. Not only is it valuable, I've I've felt for a long time like Isaiah has to be able to do this, even to be able to to, to be like a non-negative player on offense. So this was kind of more of just a necessity, and the reason that this is a necessity is that Stewart has his struggles as an interior scorer. It's his combination of poor size, poor verticality, and just kind of average touch. Now, the fact that he's got poor size and poor verticality means that he has to score from below the rim. And scoring from below the rim as a big is a pretty substantial disadvantage, one that can only really be compensated for if you've got genuinely good touch around the rim. And Isaiah's is more kind of like average. So we saw last season the effects of his, uh, again, relatively poor ability to score around the rim. Uh, a season in which he was a massive negative because I mean, not only was he one of the least efficient scorers in the restricted area among starting centers, but as I've gone over him probably a few too many times already, uh, also poor role man, just doesn't really have a lot going for him in the interior. So the fact that he can, just the ability to shoot threes at a good percentage is very, very, very important for him. Now, we've seen some uh, some other improvements from Isaiah lately as well. Just some diversification of his ability in terms of ability to attack off the dribble. Uh, like we've seen his little, uh, you know, curling kind of hooks from a few feet away. Those are nice. We've seen just him able to handle the ball with a little bit more confidence where he had really struggled to do so in the past. We had not seen him, for example, do much in the way of attack and closeouts, which is still a work in progress. He can only sometimes get to the rim. He knocks people over a lot and takes charges. I, I really would hate to be... <laughs> the person in the path of Isaiah Stewart, uh, you know, you got to be a brave, brave man to take a charge from that guy when he's going at full speed. Uh, nonetheless, he's, he's showing a tighter handle than he had had in the past, which is nice. How far will that go? Who knows? It's in, it's also an improvement from poor to kind of like a little below average, still good to have. And, you know, the hope is, I mean, if he's going to play a significant amount of power forward, that he's got more to his game than just solely shooting spot up threes. Which is a very it would be a very very limited repertoire for you know for a forward. It's uh, it's not enough, I would say, especially since Stewart you know doesn't really have a ton going for him in the way of court vision and passing and uh, just the ability to to see plays developing and so on and so forth. So 
it's been encouraging to see him do some attacking off the dribble. Uh, he did some good stuff in the game against the Hornets recently. I mean, granted, the Hornets, it should be said, are a very bad defense. But uh, it's good to see him do that against anybody. And there are additional things I believe he could do. I don't think this will happen under Casey. Uh, I know this is a, you know, meant to be a something positive episode. And you know how I feel about Casey. He's not going to get the most out of his players. But you can make, uh, for example, Stewart more and this is something i like to see more valuable in the interior by having him like stewart participates in a lot of interior handoff plays sets off ball screens gets the ball hands it off to somebody else if you give him for example the green light to shoot those spotted mid-range jumpers in those situations uh, which he has done in the past and he's good at them he's got really good touch on those if you can shoot them around 50 percent, that's another thing that the defense has to account for and so they can't really give you space in the interior either um that makes it easier for Isaiah to be a passer. It just gives more space to his teammates. Of course, you you don't want to be spotting up in the interior. You want this to be as part of a play. But uh, yeah, in that case, you can't give Isaiah space in the interior or on the perimeter. And right now, defenses are still giving him space in the perimeter, which I would look to, I believe we'll see that end pretty soon if he continues shooting well, because it doesn't really make any sense to leave a, a player who can shoot, you know, any player who can shoot like in the, in the high 30s on open threes open at the perimeter. It's still happening, and the Pistons are benefiting from that, but I'm thinking that defenses will start playing him properly in relatively short order. Uh, I'll, I'll always say this about Isaiah. I love him uh, just as a basketball player, not necessarily. I'm not When I say basketball player, I'm not. I love him as a sportsman. That's a better way of putting it. Uh, he's super hardworking. He uh, just sets a great example. He's a very high character, and he's just a consummate teammate. And you know, who knows if this is really in the, you know, great teammate mold of things, but he has drastically altered his role this season uh, to the point, like his, his three point attempt rate, you know, the percentage of his shots that are attempted from three point range was 15% in his rookie season and 9% last season. And it's 50% this season. And that's actually done great things for his efficiency. Um, in his rookie season, I mean, he was reasonably efficient, like uh, I think high fifties in true shooting. He also wasn't taking many shots and he was playing against bench players. So he didn't start many games. In his sophomore season, he really struggled. He, like I mentioned, was really, really, he had a difficult time finishing in the interior. He didn't have much to offer either in, in general. I used to call his pick and roll the pick and clog. And this season, because he's shooting a lot of threes and he's doing it at high percentage, uh, his, his true shooting is in the 60s, you know, low 60s, which, is, which has been very good for him. Uh, whatever the case, say it again. Uh, I, I think he'll be a valuable role player for the Pistons uh, for a long time, and he's the kind of player I hope is with the, the Pistons for the rest of his career. Whether that, you know, in part because you know the guy, if you want to say, you know, we're looking at the players who embodied Detroit basketball. Obviously, Stewart is one of those, but he's just a model sportsman, and, and uh, you know, on, on the court, and those are players I'm always going to think very highly of. Now a quick word from our sponsors. The NBA season is heating up and there's still so many unknowns. For example, who is going to make the postseason from each conference? Some good teams are going to miss it. If you're looking to get in on the action, bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can bet just $5 per game money line on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Right now, everyone can earn up to 100% boost DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place the same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, total rebounds, and more. The more legs you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger your shot to win big. For example, you could bet on any one of the numerous upcoming NCAA football bowl games. Download the app now, sign up with code TBPN, place a $5 pregame money line bet in any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's code TBPN, only a DraftKings Sportsbook. Men are made, all restrictions apply. See show notes for details. So let's move on to Sadiq. 
Sadiq has been a bit of an afterthought this season uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, he's really struggling at what his bread and butter was prior to the season, which is shooting threes. Number two, he's ended up on the bench. And I, I agree with the decision to, to send him to the bench. He and Boyan have a lot of overlap. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the Pistons really needed an athletic big out there. So it made sense to me that, and also Boyan has been excellent. I mean, you're obviously not going to take that guy out of the starting lineup. So where has Bay improved? Positives for Bay. His ability to attack off the dribble uh, in, inside the arc. So uh, he's actually improved dramatically at doing that. He's doing, uh, he's attempting like vastly more unassisted two-point offense than he has in the past. About two, excuse me, two-thirds of his, his two-point attempts are unassisted. Uh, he's shot about 58% on driving layups so far. He is just using, well, let's put it this way. Sadiq Bey is not going to beat anybody with an explosive first step. Uh, he's got a poor first step. He's got a relatively poor top speed. He's not a good leaper. What he is doing now in terms of attacking the basket, he is doing by parlaying his his strength, and he's got a lot of that, uh, with some kind of sneaky, shifty agility. So uh, Sadiq is very, very strong, of course. Uh, Greg Kelser said, uh, I believe on air, that, that Sadiq had told him that he's actually 230. Uh, and he's using every bit of that strength to get to the basket. And he's also using, uh, when I say agility, spins, Euro steps, and, and he's getting himself in the position to score from below the rim off the drive, which isn't necessarily easy, but he's, he's finding those openings. And that's great. I mean, is, do I think that he's going to be like an elite creator? No, but this is an excellent skill to have. And it's a skill that he didn't have. Like this, despite the fact that he's creating a, a great deal more of his offense in the interior, his two point percentage is actually significantly higher than it was back when he really wasn't doing much of that. Though I suppose in the early stages of last season, he was trying a lot of that very unsuccessfully. Whatever the case, uh, despite the fact that he's creating a lot of his own, a lot of his own offense there and their difficult attempts, he's shooting about fifty percent from two which is about 5% higher than, than what he had managed in his, his rookie and his second season. So that's good to see. So even if Sadiq is a bench player, and you know, my opinion has always been that you know, maybe he could be the fourth best player in a championship team, and that I think that, still think that would be a great outcome. But if he's a player off the bench and he can get his three-point shooting back, he's a player off the bench who can do some creating uh, from inside the arc, you know, creating from the perimeter for the most part uh, on in and then can shoot, get, get back to shooting his previous percentage from three on volume. I mean, that's a valuable scorer off the bench. You got to hope his defense recovers to where it was. In my opinion, he was a solid defender until this season. I'm not sure what happened, but yeah, that's a valuable player. As far as his three point shooting goes, my observation has been that him sort of being in creator mode, you know, that creator mindset has not been the greatest thing. Like in the instances in which he is just, play within the flow of the offense and just reverted to perimeter shooting is his typical catch and shoot shooting. Uh, he's actually done fine. But when he's on the floor and he's of a mind that he should be attacking off the dribble, he gets the ball, either he'll hesitate, he'll sidestep and take a three, he'll take a pull-up three. And so there's there's got to be some way to find a happy medium between those two things. But uh, once he finds that, I mean, I, I see no reason why his three-point percentage won't return to a respectable number. I mean, he, he was an elite shooter in college. He was a very good shooter his first two seasons in the NBA. It hasn't gone away. So I'm confident that will come back. But as far as his two-point offense goes, yep, good stuff for Sadiq. I'm glad to see it. Let's move on to Kevin Knox. So Kevin Knox, of all people, did not expect to be talking about him at this stage of the season. I thought that Kevin Knox would be buried in the rotation. 
I figured that he would be a player who would really only see the courts. Well, I guess he would only see the court in case of a bunch of injuries, which is partially true. It's because of injuries and because he beat out some other guys, well, particularly Hamadou Diallo, who also more or less beat himself. Uh, he was terrible in the time that he's played, but Kevin Knox also just played better and got those minutes. Isaiah Livers, so another injury. And of course, Cade's injury kind of propagates down the lineup. Uh, the consequences of that rather propagate down the lineup. Whatever the case, uh, Knox came in. Uh, he took advantage of the fact that he was getting minutes, and he has been a solid rotation player for the last month or so. I, I don't think he's going to keep up these percentages. He's shooting about 57% from the field and 49% from three over the last month, a little bit less than a month. But you know, even if he regresses down to like high 30s from three, he's still a solid rotation player in that case. Runs the floor well, shoots well from the perimeter, uh, does some basket cuts that occasionally produce something. And he's a super hard worker, uses his length well. On defense, he makes some mistakes, but you know that he's, he's also just highly athletic and long and generally not awful mistakes. Occasionally on a play, you'll just see him completely screw up. But for the most part, he holds his own to a respectable degree. Now, uh, what's really positive about Kevin Knox is that right now he's looking like a, like a decent, you know, possibly NBA rotation player on a good team. Uh, he would just be sort of end of the rotation guy who might play 15 minutes a game. And... Probably unless he continues to, well, I don't know. It's hard to say continue to improve for Kevin Knox because he was terrible in his first four seasons in the league. Like he was horrible with the Knicks. And then he was traded over to Atlanta, I believe, mid-season last season. Whatever the case, he, he really didn't catch on over there either. I, I might be screwing up my timeline here. But uh, seems like a good dude. I'm happy to see him succeed. And, you know, if he can manage to continue like the guy clearly has talent, you know, has raw talent. If he can continue to capitalize on that, who knows? Maybe, maybe he can play himself into into the capacity of uh, an NBA rotation player who sees significant minutes. And you know, I'll, I'll, I'll reiterate his strengths again. Like he's he's highly athletic. He's long. You know, at this point, he can shoot threes. He could conceivably be a vertical spacer. Uh, obviously, there's no need to get ahead of ourselves in terms of what he's ultimately going to be. I'll just I'll just put it this way: I'm happy for Kevin Knox that he's finally seeing some success in the NBA, even if it's only been a short time. And it seems like he's absolutely intent on making the most of this opportunity. Marvin Bagley. So Bagley, as as far as what he has been doing positively, he's been pretty strong at scoring around the basket, and a lot of that has not just been simple finishing. The offense often gets him the ball down low, just shovels him the ball, and he has to do something with it. And he's done a pretty good job of that lately, whether it's those typical lefty hooks. We've seen some turnaround jumpers, not many, but I mean, Marvin Bagley is a strong scorer. I mean, the guy has good touch. He's a talented scorer. And, uh, you know, I've he's, he's given uh, the Pistons some good points. So just some good points uh, scoring through difficult coverage around the basket, whether that's finishing or otherwise. So uh, that is always good to see. At this point, 71% of the restricted area in the season, not as good as he did last season with the Pistons, but last season he was just basically being fed the ball. This season he's actually being asked to create. And also I've seen recently some improved defense from him, at least in drop coverage or just in simple coverage on opposing centers in the paint. He's moving his feet well, he's using his length well, and you know he's blocked some shots. I mean, uh, We'll put this in perspective. I mean, Marvin Bagley is still struggles a great deal as a rim protector, and he is still a complete disaster on switch defense, but improvement is improvement, you know, and, and, and that's been good to see. All right, so Jalen Duren, uh, he's now a starter, which surprises me a little bit. Uh, that uh, I'd usually consider Dwayne Casey to be pretty predictable, and I did not see this coming. I thought that it was just going to be Marvin Bagley at for the, a significant term, at least, maybe that Jalen Duren would take over later in the season. So 
that was a surprise because with with Bagley and Stewart, basically you had Stewart playing center on defense, and you had a Bagley, yeah, Bagley playing center on offense. And now the model is basically just Stewart playing power forward on both ends, while Durham plays center on both ends. So what have I liked about Durham? Okay, since the beginning of the season, I've liked how Durham looks on defense. I mean, I've I've talked about how I feel like his defensive ceiling is very high. I think he'll be a very low variance defender between drop defense and switch defense. And he's got great length. He moves his feet well. He's able on, on switches to stay in a low stance while still keeping up with his assignments and generally has a solid chance of blocking the shot and almost invariably of contesting it. You know, he's still got, he's still got work to do, of course, in that capacity in terms of learning. But the, the physical gifts are there, and I think the defensive acumen is there. His rebounding has been excellent. This is something that was a concern back in Summer League because in Summer League, he seemed to be just trying to fall back solely on his, his height, his length, and his athleticism, which really didn't work for him. He really wasn't fighting for position. Uh, that has been very different in the NBA. He uses his strength, his height, his length, uh, his athleticism, and then just good, honest, hard work to get himself in position uh, to grab rebounds. He's been an excellent contested rebounder. And he's been good on both ends. I mean, it's uh, he is. It seems to be making full use of the physical gifts that he has and working hard. So that's been great to see too. Uh, he's just he's he's worked hard. He's working hard on the court in general. I mean, he's he's highly engaged. He's always he's always moving on both ends. Uh, you can see him communicating very actively with his teammates. He seems to try to be playing his role to lead the defense, calling out switches, and of course the entire defense is switches. But nonetheless. Uh, we've seen his acuity as a help side defender, uh, and including a recovery defender, whether it's somebody gets past him or gets past a teammate, can easily come flying in to either contest a shot with his athleticism and his length or outright block it. I love his two uh, his two arm contests, and that's that's a skill. I mean, it's uh, biomechanically speaking, it's a skill that uh, to be able to just extend one's arms fully above one's head and still get good lift. I mean, that's not easy. So he's still got his warts. I mean, the guy came into the league very, very raw. And I think it, the example of Charlotte is illustrative. They had the 13th and the 15th picks. They decided to go with Williams over Duran. They drafted Williams at 15 because he'd cost less than they would have if they drafted him at number 13. That's why the Pistons got 13 instead of 15. They drafted Williams because, as has always been the case under the Hornets, with, uh, with Michael Jordan as the owner, they were in compete mode. And by all accounts, they wanted a center whom they considered to be game ready. And Mark Williams... I'm not sure why they're not playing him at this point, to be honest. Uh, but Mark Williams was coming as a guy who could do a solid job of protecting the rim. You know, do a respectable job on switches, though he's below average in that respect. Still, that was probably would be just much more of an issue for him in the postseason, the regular season. Because if you can't switch in the postseason, you get punished. But uh, he could score it. He's, he's an excellent finisher in the NCAA. No reason to think that wouldn't transfer into the NBA. Solid vertical spacer. And their starting center was, was uh, Mason Plumley. We all know Mason Plumley, hard worker, good dude. A bad starting center. So, whatever the case, that's Mark Williams. Whereas Durham was very raw. I mean, he was he was coming out of Memphis very raw. Uh, just he's got great physical gifts, and he's got a lot of upside. But he was he was coming out of there with with a lot of growing to do, both uh, you know in terms of his skill set, you know on both uh, on both offense and defense, and you see it on both ends. Like uh, on defense, I think he's much stronger at this point. He still has his issues in terms of reading the game at the NBA level, making the right reads, making the right movements, uh, which, you know, makes perfect sense. I mean, Jalen Duran, uh, you know, part of it is, I mean, is, is age. Jalen Duran, if he had not reclassified, uh, would 
be playing his freshman year of high school, excuse me, his freshman year of college right now. And well, how much of it is age is, is up to, is, you know, is anybody's guess, but yeah, he just, he'll need time in order to develop the proper acumen at the NBA level. So is he, has he been like genuinely playing well? I'm not sure if I would say that. Has, has there been a lot to be, to be positive about, you know, a lot to be encouraged by? I'd say definitely. And uh, I view Jalen Duran as a player with all defensive potential. I think it's it's really going to be the offense that that decides how just how good he is at, at the NBA level, and that's something I can talk about in next week's episode. And so you'll note that I didn't say anything about Jaden Ivey as far as the positives go. Uh, that is not to put a damper on this episode. That's because I feel like he's really been struggling lately. He started out the season actually fairly strong, but he's had a lot of troubles. You know, I'd say over the last month or so, things have been pretty difficult for him. And some of that I may lay at the feet of Dwayne Casey, just because Casey's not very good at playing two handlers together. It's Killian Hayes who's getting the reps right now. And Ivy's kind of left on the periphery and not really given much shot and uh, much chance to attack from within the flow of the offense. He's also just making pretty poor decisions. And one thing that's positive for me with Ivy is that what he's struggling with. These are all concerns that I had before he came onto the team. It's not surprising to see me struggle. I still think he's got probably what I would say is like a top two ceiling in the draft between him and Boncaro, who has been much better than I expected him to be. But I think that it's going to take Ivy some time to get there. So we're, we're seeing a lot of his struggles transfer over from Purdue. His issues with consistency and shooting threes, in which he has struggled. At Purdue, he would go through horrible cold stretches. My opinion is that his form needs to be redone uh, pretty extensively. His issues with refinement and attacking the basket because he can't do what he did at Purdue. Just basically just uh, turn on the afterburners and turn the corner on an NCAA defender and then score at the rim before a health defense can get there. He's going to have to refine his driving. Uh, I'm not sure about how well he's been doing with his left hand. Uh, Say almost certainly he's doing worse than, than he's doing with his right. And that was something that he had to work, that he had trouble with at Purdue as well. And then just making those right reads and passes and, and just good decisions in the floor. I mean, he's, he's a willing passer, but he still makes some bad passes and his difficulty just reading when he needs to pass rather than continuing to drive. So these are all issues that they had at Purdue. These are issues I expected him to, to, to carry in at least initially to the NBA. And I think that they're issues that he can work on. So that's almost a positive for me because it's not unexpected. And I, I think that. He may not, we may not really see Jaden Ivey in his kind of NBA form until next season or maybe late this season. I think he's going to take some time to get there. So that's it for this episode. Also, should note, I'm recording this a little bit ahead of time. Like typically, I'd record on Monday or Tuesday night. I'm recording this on Saturday night. Things are going to get a little bit busy for me closer to the holidays. So, decided to record this a little bit more ahead of time. And speaking of the holidays, uh, I'd like to wish all of you the happiest of holiday seasons. So thank you as always for listening. Catch you in the next episode.